Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to the show today. I would like to introduce you to Catherine Wood. Catherine is the founder and head coach of Unbounded Potential. She's the author of Belonging, Overcome Your Inner Critic and Reclaim Your Joy. Today, I want to have a bit of a chat to Catherine and we're going to have a bit of a talk about the topic of our inner critic. We want to talk about what an inner critic actually is, how they might serve us, how they might hinder us, and if we can silence them and what we could do to silence them in the pursuit of more joy. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm going to kick off by asking you to explain what actually is an inner critic. When we talk about it, what what exactly do we mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, just to give you a context, some context, when I work with clients, I focus on who they're being, how they show up in their life and what they're believing to be true about themselves. And all of us, all humans, we have these two distinct ways of being in which we show up in the world, in which we express ourselves, in which we make decisions and act. And one of them is this thing called our inner critic. And our inner critic are these, this inner dialogue, the way we show up from fear and uh, guide ourselves or protect ourselves against this, this inner dialogue in our head around what we are believing to be true about ourselves or what we think others are making up about us. So what then is the other one? The other one is um, uh, our, our true essence, you know, truly the, the core of who we really are, the expression of ourselves when we are fully lit up in the world. I always like to think of, of babies because, you know, even before a baby starts to talk, they all have this unique personality in which they, they express themselves in the world and they never lose that. And that's really their essence. And then at some point we, we start to, uh, get more connected with the fear based expression of ourselves, you know, typically between the ages of of three and seven, there is some, some event that happens to us in our life. And it's our first experience learning that the world isn't a safe place. And it might be something, it might be something violent, you know, like I, I can share more about, about my example, if that's helpful, but Mm. it it could also be really innocuous, you know, like just someone taking an ice cream cone out of our hand and us, us learning that we don't get what we want. You know, it's Mm -hmm. really, um, it it ranges, but it's our first experience really uncovering that the world isn't a safe place and it's not all rainbows and butterflies. And we start to develop this automatic response in how we protect ourselves from that fear or from that, uh, from that made up belief about how the world is and that event and that belief gets habituated over time through repeated events. And it could be completely different events or experiences, but it reinforces the same belief in our heads. 
And that underlying belief develops into our inner critic. Wow. So it's not something that we're just born with. It's something that has kind of a point of origin, um, but nothing that's kind of discernible. I guess that if it's something that happens at kind of a young age, like you said, three to seven, it's something that we couldn't pinpoint. And I'm guessing we can't really pinpoint in our kids either. Would that be right? So it's interesting because I, when I talk to parents, they're like, oh my gosh, I want to prevent my children from ever having this happen. And what Mm -hmm. I tell them is it's, you know, it's really impossible. It is impossible to be able to protect your children from everything that's going to happen to them in the world. And what I notice with, with the clients and folks that I talk to is that I'll ask them to kind of think back to their first experience, remembering that the world is in a safe place. And while they might not initially discern that first event, they will be present to one. And then when they start thinking about it, they might be able to uncover in their subconscious that original event as they start to to think about it in that distinguished way. Mm-hmm. And and so is it is it something that everybody has? Do we all have an inner critic or is it just some of us or is it just the majority of us? Everyone. Everyone. Every human being has a a, a fear-based response in how they show up in the world and how they make decisions in how they act and how they form and, uh, and express themselves in relationships, starting with their relationship with themselves and with others. So when I think of an inner critic or the term inner critic, I kind of have this idea of that voice that would typically say things like, you're not worthy, you can't do that, who do you think you are, those kind of really negative things. Mm-hmm. Is the message of this inner critic pretty similar across the population or does it differ based on what that experience of origin was? Mm-hmm. I think that there are some very core relationships to inner critics and some very core inner dialogues, but based on that based on that subconscious programming and on the script of your own radio station that's playing in your own head, it has very different language. And the more connected you can get with your own inner dialogue, the more you will be able to discern when your own inner dialogue is running the show. So for instance, you know, I, I've been coaching for almost seven years and what I find is that almost every single one of my clients could benefit from a deepened relationship with loving themselves. Mm -hmm. And most people who I talk to have no idea what that means. And that doesn't relate at all with them. So when I talk to them, like I, I really want to know their words. I want to know their language. You know, maybe they, um, they think they need to get everything perfect or, they, they think that people-pleasing is the way to be liked in the world or, or find a sense of self-worth or, um, you know, perhaps they, they just really struggle with being authentic and speaking their truth. Mm-hmm. And I, when we're 
discerning and getting into relationship with their inner critic, we're going to use as much of their own vocabulary as possible because that will be, you know, that'll, that'll help them to start to become more self-aware when their inner critic is running the show in their own head. But fundamentally, I do believe that our inner critic all has some some very core relationships and and ways of expressing itself and fundamental beliefs. Oh, it's fascinating. I just I'm really curious why has this inner critic of ours got so much power? Is it something that we kind of hand over willingly? I mean, I'm guessing through your coaching you encourage people to have this awareness of it and that that would dial it down. But where does this this power come from that that we mm-hmm. give the inner critic? Is it something that we hand over? I think that's such a beautiful question. I think there are many factors to it, and I think it's probably different for different people. But I think that one of the underlying ideas is that it becomes habituated over time. And so as we have events happen in our life or as things happen to us or are there as there are breakdowns or circumstances, it reinforces that fear-based belief and uh, it just becomes automatic. And if we're not aware that our inner critic is running that inner dialogue in our head, we can't create a different response. And so you know, you're a coach too, so I'm sure you totally get this, but they say statistics show that roughly, you know, at a minimum 70% of our daily actions, habits, and beliefs operate in the realm of our subconscious. So we can't change what we're not aware of. Mm -hmm. So one of my primary roles with clients when we start is helping them to build that relationship with self-awareness, helping them to bring into their conscious awareness, their daily habits and beliefs and ways of operating in their life. That's not in alignment with how they would like to live their life. And it's only when it's, when it comes into that state of conscious awareness, can we start to put new habits and practices and routines in place. So I think that's one of the big elements is that it's just automatic. We're not, we're not discerning that it's happening. I think a second, a second reason why it's so powerful is that it's easier. And that sounds very hard to believe because, you know, for many people, their relationship with their inner critic is very disempowering and negative and it gets in the way of their joy and them having the life that they want but it becomes very comfortable because it it's like we have this own it's like we have this this relationship this you know this best friend in our head that kind of tells us what to do and we know what they're going to say and it's familiar and we revert back to that that uh, that comfortable way of relating to ourselves because it, it becomes just that it becomes comfortable and we start to settle and resign ourselves to that. That's how we have to be in the world and that that's what's possible for us in life. It almost and sounds so, like a, um, someone that stays in a domestic abuse environment, doesn't it? Like they know it's not ideal. They know it's not great, but it's, it's mm-hmm. known and it's comfortable and mm-hmm. that is easier than 
stepping out of it or questioning it or challenging the situation. It really, like those parallels there, um, it's almost like an abusive relationship with yourself in your own head. I think that it is in some ways. We just, we're, we all as human beings have a tendency to re- to revert to the comfortable. Mm-hmm. Even when it's not serving us. Even when it's not serving us, absolutely. Mm. So just thinking on that and the fact that it's fear-based, I, I always think, you know, sometimes fear is there to serve us and it is there to help us. Is has our inner critic got a good side as well? Can it help us, like prevent us from making mistakes or can it push us to a higher standard? Are there any good sides to the inner critic or is it all bad? I'm so glad you asked that question because as I was talking, I was thinking in my head, oh, but I don't want to, I don't want to give off the idea that our inner critics don't serve us <laughs> oh, good. because they do. Yeah, right. You know, like I, uh, I think that as as human beings, like we we don't differentiate between the types of fear in our in ourselves because there is this physical fear based response that that if we were you know walking down a dark alley at night and someone jumped out at us, you know that physical fear based response would serve us that that manifestation of our inner critic would protect us and help us keep safe. It might have us yell or scream or run or, you know, who who knows what, but as human beings, we don't differentiate between that type of fear-based response versus the fear inside of our heads, the fears of what is possible for us or what others might expect or make up or assume about ourselves. And so as we can start to differentiate and and really get more connected with our intuition and where that voice in our head is really coming from then we can start to discern what what belief serves us versus what belief is holding us back and even with clients you know sometimes i i really get curious with them you know what is that voice trying to tell you is it is it trying to protect you? Is it is it trying to tell you that you know maybe is not the time to resign from your day job, even though you're incredibly unhappy because you have you know a hundred thousand dollars of credit card debt and you have a family to protect. You know maybe you actually do need to get your foundation underneath you so that you have something to stand up on when you do make that transition. But I often find that we're more often we fall into the other category where we're scared of our own possibility. We're scared of what could be. We're scared of what's outside of our comfort zone because, you know, as human beings, we're just scared of what we don't know. And it's just more comfortable to revert to what we do. Mm. When your inner critic is being unhelpful, either stopping you from growing or trying new things, or it's, you know, keeping you in a a downward spiral or in a unhappy place. How can we go about silencing them? Is it, is -hmm. it something that we can actually turn the volume down on or is it just a noise that we need to learn to ignore? Like Mm -hmm. how do we, how do we go about that? So most people want to fix their inner critic and relate to their inner critic as something that is bad and wrong 
that they need to change about themselves. And that fundamental belief is one of the greatest impediments to turning down the volume of your inner critic. I believe that one of the opportunities with your inner critic is actually to get into relationship with it first, (laughs) to fall in love with your own inner critic so that you can uh, shift how it shows up in your life. So that's the first, that's the first step, Mm -hmm. really starting to see the, and explore the positive manifestations of your inner critics, as well as the limiting ones. You know, my inner critic is this like, workaholic (laughs) goddess who gets tons of stuff done. And so I really need to appreciate that part of me that can just go, go, go and be really task oriented and driven. And when I can appreciate her, I can actually get into relationship with her needs and the fact that, you know, maybe she just needs to be acknowledged more and appreciated for all that she does and actually seen so that she doesn't drive the bus of my life every single day. That's, that's the first step. And then the second step is uh, to really start to get in touch with what your inner critic needs. Because whenever our inner critics are showing up in our lives, they are sending us a message. They're asking for something. They're making a request of us. They're, they're, they're giving us a warning. So if we can start to get in relation into relationship with our inner critics, then we can start to discern what they actually need. When my inner critic tells me I'm not good enough, or it tells me, oh, you know, you can't, you're not worthy of making that business investment in yourself because you're never going to make it. When that voice shows up, which is extremely common with the types of clients that I work with, I I can actually think about it. Well, you know, what does that part of me really need to hear? Probably needs to be acknowledged for all that I have done and validated for how much I have achieved because I oftentimes focus on what's wrong or or what's not working, then be grateful for all that I have accomplished. And when I get present to that, it gives me a, a stronger foundation to to think from a more loving and joyful place around what decision really does serve me. And we'll be back to that discussion in just a moment. If you really appreciate this podcast and get a lot from it, we would love it if you would consider becoming a Patreon supporter. This will help us keep the podcast content coming to you by covering some of our costs and importantly, keep it ad free. You can find the Become a Patreon button on our website at www.beuncluttered.com.au. We really appreciate your support. Thank you. Right, now back to the discussion. I think it's really fascinating that you described your personal inner critic as her. Do you have like a, a picture in your head? Like I can't help but think now that we're talking about inner critics, I'm like, I feel like I need to get to know mine a bit better. And I can't help but picture those two guys from the Muppets, you know, the two grumpy men, what were their names? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. um, oh, one of them started with an S. The other one was like Waldorf or something. And they sat in the little box in the audience and would just say all sorts of negative things. And it's like, I feel like that's the image of my inner critic. 
and it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily derail the show. It's just part of the show that there's going to be some jeers and snide remarks from the crowd mm-hmm. as you travel on through. Can you tell me about your inner critic? Who is she? Does is she a character? Do you does it help at all to mm-hmm. kind of picture this person when you're you know coming to the point of having to validate? the the needs or the thoughts or or feed it to help silence it does it help having a picture in your head absolutely you know one of the uh things about that example that you just gave about the muppets is that those two men if i remember uh is that they're old men is that correct yep. they're old <laughs> yep they are and one of the things that i always remember about my inner critic is that, uh, and something I always remind clients of is that when your inner critic is talking, it is your childlike self. You know, it's that, it's that young girl or boy or, or person that is speaking that child version of you that never healed those wounds from that, that act or that event that happened to you when you were a child. So would it be okay if I kind of shared my example, because I think it could provide. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to hear it. Okay. So uh, when I, when I was five years old, I shared a room with my older sister and I adored her. She was, you know, she was six years older than me. So she was significantly older and I, I admired and looked up to her, but we shared a room and I was an obnoxious younger little girl who always wanted to be around my sister. And one day she, uh, took out a roll of duct tape because I'm sure I was talking too much and driving her crazy. And she rolled out the duct tape along the long side of the room between my half of the bedroom and her half of the bedroom. And she told me, this is my half. That's your half. Your job is to stay on your side of the room. And the door of our bedroom opened up to her side. So literally when we, when I left my bedroom, I had to jump over the frame of the door so that I didn't step onto her side of the room. And it was an incredibly innocuous event. You know, she, she was just being a, an older sister who was annoyed by her younger adoring sister. And, and that was my first experience learning that my job was to be seen and not heard. And that if I pleased my older sister, I would be loved by her. And that event became habituated in, in so many further experiences in life where it just reinforced this idea that if I, if I pleased other people and I put other people's needs first, uh, that they would love me and that they would care about me. And uh, that truly my job was to kind of care for them, be a caretaker, make it about them, not be authentic. And that, that inner chameleon kind of developed within me where I always made it about other people. And so when I, um, when I'm really showing up as my inner critic, when that, and I notice I'm getting a little teary eyed as I say this, but, um, when I really get connected with my own inner critic, I, I think back to that five-year-old version of me that was just screaming, love me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) love me, sister. (laughs) And that um, really helps me 
get connected with who's actually speaking when my inner critic is running the show. Mm. That's a really powerful image. And even the, the actual physical act of, of jumping, you know, we always talk about, you know, someone says jump, we say how high that like you were physically jumping to keep your sister happy. And it's that whole idea then that you kept jumping, you kept you know, back then you jumped the gap from your side to the doorframe, but then you continue through life jumping literally, figuratively for other people to keep them happy because that's that's what you learn. That's what you your inner critic told you had to be done to be liked. I never thought about it that way and you're so right. Oh, oh, this stuff is just fascinating. I could talk about it forever. So Um, what does your life look like now compared with before you got control over your inner critic? Like is, can you see a tangible difference between when you were, um, when you didn't have a relationship with your inner critic compared with now where you can see her, validate her and have a relationship with her? Is the, is the output different? A hundred percent. I, I really, it's, it's just night and day. Um, you know, I, I always call myself a recovering workaholic and perfectionista mm-hmm. because I really developed those tendencies of achieving and being driven by my ambitions and my success, uh, and getting things perfect as a, as a means of earning other people's high opinion and love for me. And in learning to get into relationship with my inner critic and start to heal that, that inner wounding, I, I got my whole relationship back with myself. You know, I started to connect with both sides of me, the part that shows up from joy and love and my essence and, uh, and the part that shows up from that, that little childlike self. And, uh, it's just, it's really, you know, it's really night and day about how I, how I live my life these days, the risks that I'll take in business, uh, in my multiple businesses, the, the way in which I manage my schedule and how I live my life day to day, when I allow myself to work, when I honor my own boundaries about taking time off, um, healing that relationship with myself that never allowed me to think about myself and now having a really, you know, empowered relationship with the word selfish and, and healthy selfishness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's really, uh, I, I feel like if you asked anyone in my life, they would say that I'm a transformed human being. So what's, what's the link then between understanding and appreciating this inner critic that we have. What's the link between that and finding joy? How do you, how does one feed the other? Mm-hmm. So uh, I talk a lot about relationships and we all have this relationship with ourselves and many of us are disconnected from ourselves. And when we are disconnected from us, it is really challenging to be in empowered relationship with others. 
So a lot of the work starts by getting into relationship with yourself, uh, getting connected with your own internal needs and how you can self-soothe when your inner critic is running the show and starting to lean into the other parts of you that do show up from joy to honor those parts of you, to, uh, to act on those parts of you. Uh, you know, my own journey really started on the heels of a breakup when I was broken up with, uh, and I was in a, you know, it was an unhealthy relationship for me. And when I, when I was broken up with, it really kind of cracked my heart open because I realized that I had lost so much more than just the relationship. Like I lost myself in that relationship because I had put all of my sense of self and worth into that relationship. And it was such a blessing in disguise because it required me to really start digging and to start exploring what it was that was missing in me that had me uh, kind of become a chameleon in that relationship and get all of my needs met outside of me. And it, it, it started me on this journey of dating myself. Uh, and one of the initial practices I did was to start to take myself out on a weekly date as a practice in rediscovering what I love in rediscovering what brings me joy in rediscovering how I actually enjoy spending my time outside of work, what enlivens me outside of accomplishments. And it was such a beautiful practice in starting to uh, get connected with that whole other part of me that I had forgotten or lost sight of or become disconnected and and distanced from. It started there. I could go on, but I, <laughs> I'll pause there. I, I love that. I love that idea of taking yourself out on dates because when you think about meeting other people and starting new relationships, you set time aside to get to know them and to mm-hmm. um, work out what excites them and what brings them joy and that kind of thing. But we just don't do that for ourselves. And we the thing is we kind of are continually – evolving the things that interest me today and not the same things that interest me 20 years ago. But, you know, it's it's like we don't put the time aside to say, well, I want to take myself out and see what really gets me excited, where I find joy mm-hmm. today. Um, we kind of just, we park it, don't we? It's like we go through this storming when we're teenagers, we get to 20, think we know who we are. And until a midlife crisis hits, there's no real rediscovery. We kind of just keep keep churning. I just, I love that idea. I love it. So is, is, is that, was that the first step? Is that what you would suggest as a first step to, to either tame it or to get in touch with your inner critic? Would it be to rediscover who you are? I think that that is, uh, a lifelong journey mm-hmm. <laughs> and that taking yourself out on a weekly date is a loving and nurturing and joyful 
as well as feasible place to start. Mm -hmm. Most people are very intimidated by this conversation and taking yourself out on a weekly date is oftentimes a very tactile place that people can really get a hold of starting. Uh, And I think, and it's one I often recommend. Another place I, I, I oftentimes invite as a starting off point is looking at your morning routine. Uh, when I started coaching, I, I would work with clients around the clock because I was so uh, hungry to resign from my day job. I was a senior economist for the government and I was just miserable. I was never meant to be behind a, a, a desk and just computer monitors staring at me. I'm such a people person. And that, you know, that was, that was a time in my life where my inner critic really served me because it drove me to work. It drove me to reach my goal. But one of the challenges or one of the challenges of that was that it, uh, it instilled in me this unhealthy work dynamic, which a lot of people experience. And I found myself, uh, talking with clients at all and all hours and ends of the day. I actually had a a client in Australia that I remember. And I, at the same time, I had a client in, in Thailand and I would talk to my client in Thailand at 5am. And then I'd talk to my client in, in Sydney at 6am. And, and that, that would have my day just running, working, thinking about other people. And I really believe that the way we start our day is the way our day will go. And when we can start our day with ourselves and getting connected with our needs and what serves us, it sets a precedent and it starts to change our subconscious programming around how we will operate throughout our day, how we will show up in relationships, how we will make choices and honor our own boundaries and you know, today I start my calls at 11 a.m. and I'm an extreme morning person. So typically by the time 11 a.m. hits, I've had several hours of taking care of myself and doing the things that bring me joy and uh, light me up, as well as all of my biggest work responsibilities that I have to get done for the day. It's like a, a night and day change. Oh. I like that. I really like that. I'm definitely not a morning person and uh-huh. I can tell you're a morning person because when we started recording this half an hour ago, it was 7am where you are. And, <laughs> um, for those of you listening, when we were debating about when we were going to find a suitable um, time to record this uh, with Catherine being in Washington, D.C., and me being on the east coast of Australia and we are looking at the time zone difference, I was like, you, you're not going to get the best out of me if it's like a 5 a.m. in Australia to kind of call. I'll be like nodding <laughs> off or falling asleep in my cup of tea. I'm like, I'm much better at night. So it, it worked. It really worked. But I can tell you're a morning person because as soon as we jumped on, I'm like, gosh, she's like a vibrant and energized. So what do you, is it, does it start from the moment you get out of bed? Do you just, um, do you have a routine or a rhythm in the morning? Tara, talking about my morning routine is my single favorite <laughs> topic. <laughs> um, it is constantly evolving and expanding. And it's actually, uh, you know, my current morning routine is even more evolved than the one that I've 
written about in my book, but, um, my, my morning routine is that I typically wake up between five and six and I will, uh, start the day with a glass of warm lemon water, which I, I don't quite understand why it works so well, but it's such a nourishing way to start my day. Uh, and then I'll have a cup of coffee and I, um, I, I now meditate every morning. So before I hopped on the phone with you, I did a 31 minute meditation of just sitting in, in, in prayer pose. And I'm, I'm currently training to become a Kundalini yoga instructor. And so I I chanted for 31 minutes to a Kundalini, uh, song that I'm currently doing a 40 day, a 40 day journey of 31 daily minutes of meditation. And that, that in and of itself has been awe opening, awe inspiring. Um, but I start there and, and then I journal every morning. Uh, I used to hate journaling. I used to only journal when I was upset about a boy, but what I notice is that journaling is a practice that helps me connect with my own inner critic. It helps me kind of get into relationship with the thoughts that are swimming around my head and making me feel sad or angry or scared that I'm not necessarily aware of. I'm just kind of operating on top of the surface. So I write a, uh, a letter every morning to the divine part of me. And, and literally I start the letter, dear God. And I write a letter just uh, expressing whatever I'm present to. So whether I'm really grateful for something or if I'm struggling with something or what I need help or guidance or support around. And then I write a letter back to myself from the divine part of me that already has access to the answers and already has access because uh, it's really a practice in connecting with my own intuition. Uh, So I start there and then I read every morning for 30 minutes or an hour, depending on how much time I have that day. And, you know, for some clients, I don't recommend reading because I find that uh, people who have an obsession with self-help books or personal development books sometimes use that as a, a strategy or a tact for never acting on them. Mm-hmm. And I, I really believe that people can intellectualize themselves out of changing their life. Mm-hmm. So if you have an understanding of how you're getting in your own way, but you're not willing to do anything different about it, then please don't incorporate any more reading into your life until you're willing to actually do the work. Uh, but for me, reading is a really empowering structure in uh, getting connected with my own intuition and my own creativity and my own uh, inspiration. So I read every morning uh, and then I come into my meditation area and I, I pull a card every morning. I think it's a fun practice. I've, I don't have any experience with tarot cards, but it's something I've started doing. It's just kind of a fun way of exploring something new. And, and I also, I also really love Louise Hay and she has, uh, she's done some work on numerology and I I love one of her books called, I think it's called colors and numbers where it has just a daily, a daily reading or a daily affirmation for you based on your numerology. 
So I, I think it's just kind of a fun exploration. Uh, I'll do that. And, uh, and then I'll take a bubble bath and I'll have a green smoothie. And then I will come into my office and I, I write out my, I call them my fab five. They're essentially my fab or my five fabulous priorities for the day that if I were to really focus and align my time and energy on those priorities that have the biggest impact on my results. And that, uh, that's really kind of the core of my morning routine. Wow. That sounds like a day spa or a, like that, that sounds like (laughs) what you do when you go on holidays. That's your, like, I love that this is your everyday routine. I really need to up my game. (laughs) I thought my morning routines were all right because I go slow, but that's, that's next level. I love it. So do you find then that the more you look after yourself and start your day, right? Do you feel that that helps you in keeping that inner critic in check? Like, do you, do you feel like self-care and the more you kind of uh, feed yourself or fill your own cup that the less noise the inner critic makes are those two things. Do they have a relationship like that directly? 110%. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, I remember when I first started exploring this concept of self care and slowing down my mornings and not just jumping into my day ready to work. I've, I found that the reason it was hard to change that habit was because I was scared. I didn't have enough time that I didn't have enough time in the morning to start my day with me. And I find that that's really common. But what I notice is that when you start your day running, everything takes more time because you're not starting your day uh, with a clean slate. You're oftentimes bringing your energy or residue from the night before or the day before into your day. And so when I start my day with self-care and grounding and coming back to myself, it allows me to operate at a higher level. Like I'm, I show up completely different as a human being when I've started my day with empowering my morning routine and really nurturing myself. It has me much more connected with, with joy because I'm already joyful. You know, some people start the day afraid, like fearful of what their day will bring. And I start my day, like literally filling my cup. You know, the, the best part of my day is my morning routine. I I delight in it. It brings me so much joy. And then I bring that joy to my whole day, to all of my client calls, to all the conversations I'm in, the tasks I have to do. Nothing feels as heavy or as significant. And not surprisingly, everything takes less time because I'm, I'm present. I'm, I'm grounded. I'm centered. I know who I am. So then I can bring all of my focus and all of my energy to my tasks and the people that I get to spend my day with. I think you've given us something all to aspire to now. So if we wanted to wrap this up and give the listeners three key takeaway points when it comes to either getting to know or starting to tame their inner critic, what would they be? What's three key things that we can go away and start doing today to 
stop letting our inner critic have a have a hold on us? Mm-hmm. So the first one is to start to get into relationship with your inner critic. Uh, stop making him, her, it wrong or bad and start to remember that when your inner critic is talking, it is that that three to seven-year-old version of you that's just yelling, love me, love me, mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever the manifestation of yours is, start to get connected with what uh, it needs or wants in that moment and meet that need. And you will be amazed at how you start to heal your relationship with your inner critic and not let it run the show. That's the first. The second takeaway is, uh, to start getting connected to what brings you joy, to start to honor those parts of you that are neglected or forgotten or disconnected from and really prioritize those parts of you. And I think the third is that two of the easiest places to start healing that relationship with your inner critic and allowing your joy to be expressed is through either empowering a weekly date with yourself where you relate to it as an exploration in coming, coming home to you or getting curious around a morning routine and what are the practices or the rituals that if you were to empower every single morning would have a life-changing experience on how you show up every single day because we can't change tomorrow, but you can change today. You have given us a lot to think about. So Catherine, if we want some more of you, um, where can we find you? Your socials, your website, your books, tell us, tell us all about you and where we can find you. Absolutely. So my website is www.unbounded-potential.com. And I send out a weekly newsletter on Friday mornings where I really relate to it as a practice in being more authentic and sharing my authentic voice, which coming back to my inner critic is, you know, is a part of healing my own inner critic, really unleashing my own voice. I'm on Instagram and have a lot of fun sharing about my journey and my life there. Uh, and my handle is Unbounded Potential. And the name of my book is Belonging, Overcome Your Inner Critic and Reclaim Your Joy. Uh, You can read more about it on my website and it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Thank you so much for that. We will put the links to all of Catherine's stuff on our website in the show notes so that you can go directly there and click through to find out more about Catherine and all of her offerings. Thanks again, Catherine. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. And we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so that they too can be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.